Hello everybody, it's me Roscoe and welcome back to the Kings of Anglia Itchers Town podcast, uh, which is proudly sponsored by Manscaped. Use the code KOA, you get 20% off and free delivery to get a new look for 2024 from up here to down there and all that sort of stuff. Um, as you can hear, I'm in the hot seat once again. Peefy uh, is off, he's away for the week uh, to recharge his batteries, ready to kickstart 2024. I'm joined by two fine gentlemen, though, to look after me and uh, to bring you their great insight on everything Itchwich Town. I'm joined by Stuart Watson and Alex Jones. Boys, always a pleasure. I uh, hope you had a good weekend. Start with you, Stu. How's things are you? All right. I'm just looking out my window and it's something approaching snow coming down at the moment. It's like a little bit of sort of mini light hail. It's... um. The temperature has certainly dropped. Um, you got out of the car at Wimbledon, or you met us. Yeah, you got out of the car at Wimbledon on on Saturday and said, "Oh, I think I might be lacking a layer here." There was a bit of nip in the air, wasn't there? So, um, yeah, I'm all right, thanks, mate. Yeah, good to see you. Always good, always good. Yeah, it's getting a bit nippy. It's getting a bit chilly on the chilly side. And AJ, my friend, how are you? Uh, yeah, I have to admit, I was at the Felix um yesterday for the Itchish Town Women's game, and it was absolutely Baltic. And I was like, think I should have worn more layers. Uh, but enough about me moaning. AJ, how's things? Yeah, time for me to moan. Colds, yeah, isn't it? it feel, I, we definitely felt it at Wimbledon a bit. And I think it's only gotten colder from from there, really. I was at uh, an FA Cup game yesterday. No surprises which one that was. And um, let's just say East London was pretty nippy there as well, especially when it got to kind of mid-late afternoon. You're really feeling it. No snow out here yet or any kind of signs of anything apart from just grey and grim horrible stuff um, but since I'm still kind of in the latter stages of whatever kind of chesty cold thing this is, it's not really the, the weather I want Yeah, typical British here on this King's Anglia <laughs> podcast talking about the weather and how cold it is uh, it is January so it should be cold but I have to admit on Christmas Day I think I was just wearing a shirt because I don't think there was that cold on Christmas Day, which is madness. Um, but anyway, enough of that. Uh, Town played a game of football and they won that game of football, progressing in the FA Cup. Um, overall thoughts then, boys. Stu, the FA Cup, we've had some bad, bad moments, haven't we? I think when we were looking ahead to this game, we are bringing back some bad memories. But um, this one was just job done by Town. Yeah, that, that would be my summary, really. Job done. Um Progress secured. Was it perfect? No. The game was never over. Wimbledon, I think, deserve a lot of credit as a League Two side. I thought, you know, there was they gave as good as they got for long periods of, of that game and the result wasn't secured till the, the final minute. Um, but I also never really felt like an upset was on the cards. It's which always felt like they had a, a modicum of control that they could go up a gear if they needed to. Um Again, we'll probably talk about sort of not killing it off and not being clinical enough at certain stages of the game. But overall, it's a win and it's a win they needed. It stops this kind of talk of five games unbeaten. So that, you know, that is the first win since Watford away in the middle of December. So that's a nice little confidence booster. Um, and uh, yeah, we ha- we'll, we'll wait and see what, what the draw brings tonight. Yeah, indeed. Um, I'm sort of. We'll get onto that, and I'll ask you guys what you want. We know that Jack Taylor wants Man United um, if they can beat Wigan, of course, tonight. Um, AJ, quick um, recap of the of the win in your eyes, and of course, we'll hear from McKenna and Dye's jest the whole game as a whole in a sec. Not a classic. Didn't really need to be. I think in these kind of games, it's just about getting over the line. 
Um, I'd say more than anything about, to be honest, avoiding a replay because the last thing the town needed was another game to go, well, what would be in between Sunderland at home and the trip to Leicester. And it just adds another one into what is already going to be a congested month. Um, it's going to be worse now with the fact that the Rotherham game is going to be moved. So that's going to be another midweek down the line. And it would have been pretty heavy if that had happened. So at the end of the day, I think a professional performance, as Stu said, you've got to give credit to Wimbledon the fact that they stood toe to toe with town without two strikers. They, they really were, were kind of quite short up front in terms of what they had going into the game without their key man and Ali Al Hamadi, who's just been superb this season. So the fact they had all of that and still managed to really, yeah, as I said, stand toe to toe with town, I think is really impressive. Um, not a classic by any means. You're not going to go back and watch these goals as we have in the last few weeks and go, oh, goal of the season contender, that one. An own goal, uh, a close-range tap-in. The second one was a header from point-blank range. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's just about getting the job done. That's what they did. And um, regardless of what your views are on the FA Cup in terms of does it distract from the league? Is it you know that important? At the end of the day, it's hopefully going to be a nice chance to, to get someone big in the next round. And crucially, as Stu said as well, the confidence boost. They hadn't have won this one. It would have been a month without a win in all competitions. The goals haven't been flowing, let's be honest. Um, there have been a few defensive question marks despite quite a few clean sheets. You look at the Leeds game, for example. They defended really well here for, for large parts of it. A few hiccups here and there. But overall, I think you're looking at the positives from this one. Yeah, and uh, let's hear from good old K-Dog. No, I'll call him Kieran McKenna. From the Town Manager, let's see what he had to say on the win. Yeah, it was it was a tough cup tie. It was always it was going to be. I thought we started the game well. Um, got a, got ourselves ahead in the game with a well worked corner. I know it's a deflection, but the the setup was was well planned out. And um, I thought it was a good start. Of course, then we we give away the penalty and, and give away the goal. Um, the game's a bit on edge. You know, AFC made it tough for us and everything what you'd expect in the FA Cup tie. It wasn't all our way. We had you know certainly had chances for much more goals than what we did. Um, but we didn't get the. The two-goal margin until too late in the game for it to ever be, you know, 100% comfortable. So, um, no, it was it was a tough cup tie. Important to to go through some good performances and um, you know things to improve in the training ground next week. Next week. Now let's talk about the teams, Stu, because it was stronger than I think most of us were expecting. Um, you know, a few starters um, that sort of remained from the Stoke draw, but there was a few others. Like we knew Sam Morsey was likely to start. He's going to miss the next two league games, but. Uh, yeah, very strong team indeed. Yes, I thought it would be a first team, a team of senior players. I didn't think we were going to suddenly see a load of 21s dropped into the starting lineup or anything like that. But I thought it would be sort of 10, 11 changes, or 10 changes because we knew Morsi would start, but I thought everyone else around him would, would change and it, it wasn't quite that drastic. Um, certainly didn't expect to see Luke Wolfenden go again. Nathan Broadhead, given um, he seems to be one that's not as robust and tends to be dropped, you know, dipped out when when the opportunity arises. Those two in particular surprise me in terms of the starting 11. Um, but then you hear Kieran McKenna's explanation afterwards and, and it, you know, and it makes more sense, particularly the Wolfenden one. He says, this is a back four that we're needing to work on now and we'll come on to the, the problems which have got in the fullback areas um but you know he said this is a, a back four that we need to kind of work on for the next few weeks so hence why he went with Wolfenden again so he can get a bit of a partnership building with George Edmondson 
get give Axel Twenzebi another bit of experience at right back because that's a role that he might have to play a little bit in the short term. Um, so it made a little bit more sense from from that point of view. And, and also, I think um, as much as in the build up to this game, I, I was probably as guilty of sort of shrugging shoulders and going, well, you know, if they go out, it's not the end of the world and they'll be able to concentrate on the league. Actually, if it had been a draw or even a defeat, that would not have felt good discussing that this morning, would it? Given um, the winless run and opens up some old wounds about, you know, FA Cup defeats against lower division uh, opponents from the past and stuff like that. So that's, you know, that's probably why he went as strong as he did. Yeah, um, AJ, your, your thoughts on that? Um, I think I think the big one, you know, Axel Twanzebi, of course, he's, you know, had to, had some setbacks with injuries and stuff. He hasn't seen back. Was that the first time he's done back-to-back games since he signed for us or he's done that already? Oh, I think it might that. be the first time he's done back-to-back games, which is really important. It shows he's making a step up. Um, I, I think he found this one quite hard, but I'm not sure to what extent that was down to him because I think that a lot of the system... At, um, at Ipswich at the moment it is playing quite narrow at the back and I think there are kind of a few talks I've seen this online, I think we mentioned this a little bit over the weekend, is it kind of almost turning into a bit of a back three with the system in terms of shoring things up defensively is it one where you look at what, for example, Murray Hutchinson was doing a lot of defensive work in this game was kind of tracking back and you could see Twanzebe, as I said, I didn't think he had his best game but a lot of his work was coming quite narrow, so it almost felt like they were kind of switching over a little bit um, as we've seen before, for example, with Wes Burns, Harry Clark coming in at defence, it was a, a part that worked quite well in League One in terms of just solidifying at the back. Is that something that we're seeing a little bit more possibly? So I think that, yeah, as you said, it's, it's an important one in terms of having first team players and making sure you get through this one because it was important to win in the context of the last few weeks and in context of progressing in the cup and not kind of having that negativity around but again, yeah, I think also it's about building those relationships and they're going to need to, to work on that over the next few weeks with Cameron Burgess out in terms of maybe looking at ways that they can bounce back and, and change this little dip in, in form in terms of the results. Is there a way that they can change the defensive side a little bit more? Is it kind of having that versatile back four, back five changing around? And games like this are also the perfect opportunity just to trial that. And I think it worked quite well. The only difficulty is, at the end of the day, uh, Town not playing League 2 opposition in the league and it's going to be a totally different test on Saturday. So, yeah, it's a good opportunity to, to test that out, to try it. Um, now about seeing how that can kind of transition into a higher level if that's the, the route they want to take forward. I'll just double-check in on that Axel Twanzebe start. He, um, he somewhat did back-to-back games, but he came off the bench. But this was back-to-back like starts and playing 490. So um, it's good to see Axel do that. Stu, should we talk about the full-back issues straight away, actually, before we get on to the game and the goals and blah, blah, blah? Because that is, of course, a big talking point. Um, Harry Clark, Brandon Williams wasn't available. Yeah, let us know. Well, they were the only two first-team players not in this squad wasn't just the starting 11 that was quite strong. He went with a strong bench as well. Gerard Buebo, the only kind of under-21s player on the bench. Um, obviously, he'd been involved um, recently, hadn't he, uh, in the QPR game, wasn't it? He came on. Um, yeah, and uh, Harry Clark, Achilles, ongoing Achilles issue that we're aware of, but it sounds like treatment of that has gone up a notch of late. Um, he's now having sort of injections in that to manage with the pain. 
Um, will he be okay for Sunderland? We'll have to see, was the verdict on, on that from McKenna. Um, Brandon Williams, ill, was the uh, explanation on that one again. He's been in and out of this squad, really, from... I mean, when was the goal against Preston? October time? I think it's late October since the starts have started to dry up for him. Only three starts since then. Been illnesses and knocks have kind of been um, cited for his absences. So he's, he's not having a great deal of luck, um, Brandon Williams. And when he has come into the side, he's looked a shadow of the, the player that excited us all during that little period of around the Preston goal. Um and then Leif Davis, again, absent with a, with a calf strain. Um, again, I think that's going to be touch and go, whether he's fit for Sunderland. We'll find out a bit more later in the week, building up to, to that game. Janoi Danassian still not around. He's been struggling with groin issues um, since the early stages of the season. So that's your four first-choice fullbacks, or your, yeah, your four main fullbacks, all, all unavailable, which has left Ipswich... Uh, experimenting a little bit in, in the fullback positions, hence why we've had Axel Twenzebi at right back in the last couple. We've seen Cameron Humphreys, this was his second game at left back. Clark, when he was fit, had a little go at left back. So, um, yeah, from a position of real strength, an area that Kieran McKenna said was probably his his best area of strength and depth for the squad, Bips, which are suddenly looking a little light at fullback at the moment. Yeah, they are. And AJ, you know, that is a position going into this summer. We thought that is a, you know, you know, both positions, right and left, was our strong point. But now it's like, oh dear, we're bare bones. Yeah, I think there were maybe a couple of bits that flagged up in my mind when Greg Lee left. And I think that that was the right move in terms of his progression and the way the club were going. I think I spoke last week about the water levels rising. That was probably the start of one of those situations and it was important for him to go and get minutes he's tearing it up from what I can see as well so it's a lovely move for him but I think that was one where you look at the right back left back options and it kind of felt like a situation where it was two positions and you might want to have kind of a, a backup in each one and you ended up having Brandon Williams being the right back who could cover left back Obviously, if you have someone like him who's ill, you lose a lot there. Then you're moving players out of position. You're looking at Cameron Humphreys, I think, yeah, natural midfielder realistically, who's doing an exceptional job playing at left-back, though. Um, you're looking at players like Danassian, who, again, with the injury record at the moment and, and at the time when Lee left, it also made things a little bit tricky. So I think that, uh, uh, yeah, at full strength and with everyone available, it was absolutely a situation where there was quite a lot of depth, but is there also an extent where it just feels like maybe there are a couple out of position? Is there a, an argument that it was kind of some players doubling up in both, like you have with Brandon Williams? I don't know. But overall, it's one where, regardless of how it looked over the summer, it's it's definitely one or two knocks and it totally changes the, the perspective as we've now seen. I think... Um... Alex is right. Uh, it's something I noticed in the last few games that it has, I think, probably because of a combination of the shortage of clean sheets and a lot of talk about can't keep conceding two goals at home and winning games, etc. And the four goals conceded at Leeds. Combination of that and also the fullback shortage, I think, has seen them morph more towards a back three. In the early stages of Kieran McKenna's management, we kept calling it a, a wing-back system and Wes Burns was much more of a wing-back and that contributed to 
uh, club record run of clean sheets, didn't it? But then there was the chat about were they scoring enough goals at the other end and, um, you know, slowly but surely it moved towards the 4-2-3-1 that it has been for quite a period of time. But it has looked more like that sort of back three of, of late. And I know it's always, you know, it always pivots and it's um, quite fluid, but it has looked, Axel was tucked um, significantly in. Um, and yeah, Amari Hutchinson was kind of getting back and having to do the, the wing back job. And we know he can do the off, off the ball stuff as well. I just wonder if, and also with the games coming up as well, being Sunderland and Leicester and it's Leicester on Boxing Day, whether Kieran McKenna just felt that he needs his side just to be a little bit more solid during this this period, given the, the teams that they're playing against. I mean, you go back to Boxing Day, Mavadidi has an acre of space and people were talking about why isn't Harry Clark out there and, and tight enough? You know, maybe that's instructions from the manager. Maybe that's tactical and um, that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. Yeah, indeed. And um, another big talking point was uh, we haven't scored many goals from set pieces. And that was the uh, the first goal of the game was from a set piece. It was an own goal, obviously. Um, AJ um, it hit two women's players. I think it was the, the striker, Davison, who um, recently chopped off his locks, who uh, yeah put the ball in his own net. So, um, of course, Nathan Broadhead with a shot originally from the, the set piece. Yeah, 1-0 town. Yeah, I mean... We'll get on to it, obviously, but it's important to know they didn't do it once, they did it twice from set pieces. So that changes the record a little bit. This one was that kind of, we've seen it a few times where the corner gets swung out quite deep and it's usually Connor Chaplin who goes and flicks it and it comes out to Broadhead. And honestly, I think this might have taken us about five or six attempts looking at this replay to figure out what went on. And even then, I don't think any of us really knew until it just flashed up on, on BBC via PA. That's the, usually the best way of judging who's got the final touch on it. And it went down as Davis. And I think it takes kind of a couple of deflections in the end in the box, pimbles around. We've seen a couple of deflections end up in a goal before. Um, and then Wrongfoot's the goalkeeper. But I think it did also come after a good start. It wasn't like it was totally against the runner play and out of the blue. I think the town had maybe just started to, in those first kind of five minutes, find their feet quite quickly, which was important in a game like this. I think that the instruction would have been if you go and kill this one off quickly, obviously they didn't really manage to do that. But if you can go do that, go make sure you can get a goal, get a couple in there, then then it changes how this game is going to look and it, it makes it a lot easier in terms of the job of getting through. So that was a, a really nice start and having another one from set pieces after a little bit of a dry spell, I think is important. Yeah, and um, Ali didn't last long though, Stu, did it? Um, Jack Taylor, which is a bit... Unfair, really, um, watching it back. Uh, but, yeah, we can see the penalty and, of course, Wimbledon scores from it. Yeah, no complaints for me on this one. They're not... It doesn't always feel like the punishment fits the crime with some of these handball ones, but by the by the letter of the law it is. And his arms are flying around a little bit, aren't they? I think um, that would go down as an unnatural position. I know what you mean. It feels like it's like right at the back post. He's under a bit of pressure. Is he, is he given a nudge? Does a goal kind of constitute, you know, a really good chance to score a goal? Like I say, does a punishment fit the crime? Probably not, but by the letter of the law, it's a it's a penalty. Um, so another another set piece. It's this game. Just all three goals in the first half come from set pieces, and it's a reminder, you know, for all the free flowing football, building from the back, working through the thirds, all that sort of stuff. It's set pieces which can so often prove the difference and um, 
yeah, so it was nice to see Ipswich get a couple, but the penalty comes from from one they're defending as well. Um, took it really well, didn't he? Smashed it high past Christian Walton. Um, and that, uh, yeah, any thoughts that Ipswich it was going to be a sort of a comfortable cruise to the finish line for Ipswich were, were quickly ended when that one went in. Yeah, I think before that, though, didn't we have a lot of chances like Broadhead? I know there was definitely one moment where he had a really good chance. He was so annoyed with himself. He actually kicked the hoardings because he was so frustrated. Um, but yeah, just town weren't clinical enough, were they? But uh, we did score our second, thankfully. Axel Twanzebui's first um, senior goal in football. Um, and yeah, it's just good to see AJ. You know, another set-piece goal. This was more, once again, it was bombarded in the box and he just heads it and it's in. Yeah, I think, to be honest, the highlight of this, so you guys seen the replay where the corner comes in and there's a womble in the background. He's bashing a wheelie bin, <laughs> yeah. trying to use it as a drum, um, which, unfortunately, the amount of times I've seen that back, it distracts me so much just to see him as the camera pans over and the background's bashing this thing up and down. Um, good delivery, bit of a scramble. Twanzebe almost gets his head kicked off in the process of getting in. So, yeah, he's a defender who can put his head where it hurts good stuff um well maybe not good but uh, yeah at the end of the day he's there in the right place and it, it's not the hardest of goals let's be perfectly honest but um it almost kind of felt i think when the ball loops over to him it almost kind of hung in the air and you just needed someone in the in the right place to to score that and i'm really pleased that Swanzebe and he deserves it for kind of coming up to speed yet yeah, might have taken a little while but I think he's been really impressive, barring maybe a couple of games, but that's to be expected as well. This was one, as I said, where I found it hard, but I, I think that it wasn't totally down to him. And it's a, it's yeah, just a nice moment, you know, an all-first professional goal. Um, and, and the timing of the goal, we speak a lot about timings. Every time that I hear that's the perfect time to score, all I can think of is the West Brom game, where they scored two goals at the perfect timing. This one, to establish the league going into the second half, the last thing you wanted to do was let Wimbledon go back in with the scores at 1-1. Have Johnny Jackson say, right, this is how we can frustrate them, get a replay, go and nick it. Um, when they're 2-1 down, they've only got one way of, of going about it from then on, and I thought they approached it well, but it just played into town's hands perfectly. And uh, Harry Pell, a person you know well, Stu, once upon a time, I don't know if you, we've said it on the podcast, he played uh, against him when he was 15 years old in a, in a game. Um, he got a red card. Uh, for the second game in a row, Town had to play against 10 men, which is sometimes can be difficult, which we, we saw at Stoke. But uh, yeah, Harry Pell. Yeah, Ipswich fans will remember him best from... Uh, the Accrington away game, Ipswich lost 2-1, I think, in October 2021. Sam Morsi had a, a big old rant post-match um, about how they were a disgusting non-league side that were deploying um, questionable tactics. He referred to a player, brackets Harry Pell, just booting the ball out of the ground to t waste time, and he'd never seen anything like it before. Um so yeah, Harry Pell's been a thorn in Ipswich's side before. He's sort of uh he's a a big sort of gangly, awkward attacking midfielder, isn't he? And um I think he, he chirps away a little bit during the game. So I was interested to see how that dynamic would play out with Morsi obviously starting this one as well. And uh it ended with Harry Pell being sent off just before the hour mark. Um already on a booking, bit of a flailing arm. Elbow perhaps a little bit too strong, but catches uh, George Edmondson, who goes down holding his face. Um, 
second yellow off he goes. I'm sure Sam Morsi had a bit of a, a wry smile on his face for when that happened. And Ipswich, having started the second, got that, like Alex says, the second goal before half-time was crucial. They started the second half on top, were in, were in full control, I thought. Just hadn't been able to kill the game off. And then when Wimbledon went down to 10 men, I was thinking that the floodgates might open from there. But um, yeah, for the second game in a row, playing against 10, um, wasn't as easy as uh, as we hoped. No, and of course, um, Town made some changes and we saw the new signing, Jezza, made his debut, AJ. Um, early thoughts on him. Um, show glimpses of what he can do. And, you know, exciting cameo for him. Not going to give it a go pronouncing his full name. Jeremy Saraminto. Oh, you were nailing it at the weekend. You, yeah, you got it like spot on, and I think you've lost. I was it too confident. Bit. I was too confident. I was too arrogant. I was going into it. Yeah, Jeremy Saraminto. But slow, no. just slow, slow it down. You got you're attacking it too fast. Saraminto. Jezza. Saraminto. It's Jezza. That's what I was hearing a lot in the in the the stands. We had, yeah. I did this um, after we did the boot room last week, where I broke it down for Ross, and I did Sar me and toe, and I said, "Now say it as one." And he went Saramento, and I no, that's um, fine to me. Oh, well, it's close enough. Yeah, if you want to call him Jezza, you call him Jezza. I'm sure that I wouldn't that worry have, about it because Mark's cursed have, him with uh, the nickname now, anyway, isn't he? He's yeah. really doubling down on drugs. I see. Um, <laughs> Do you reckon that was his nickname when he was playing in the cages of South London? They shouted, oh, Jug's here, pass by. Or Jezza, <laughs> Jezza. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought he looked bright. He came on with a, a good opportunity. And I thought that the biggest compliment I could pay to him was the fact that he um, didn't look like a new signing at all. He linked up so, so well. There's some really nice moments, I think, where he, he kind of played a really cool one-two with um, Marcus Harness, a couple of back heels in there. And he just looks a lot of fun. I think that um, when he was playing through the middle, actually, he looked like he was enjoying himself the most and benefiting from kind of using a little bit of his strength and working through tight spaces, which was a surprise because I know that there's kind of an idea that maybe he isn't as good at doing that and he benefits more on the left. But I, I thought through the middle, he, he looked quite sharp. At the end of the day, shows his versatility. As long as he can cover those bases, really important. Um, town going forward at that point. Looked quite strong there, quite a few chances. At the same time, Wimbledon, I know, I think it did come off the red card, just quite late on, had a, a fantastic chance to equalise when Jack Taylor has a, a heavy touch from a throw-in and they just counter from there. I believe it's Armani Little who took a shot, really fierce shot, forced Walton into his only kind of real save of the afternoon. Um, but they had chances to go kill it from there. Good chance for, for Humphreys from a header close range. Um, Sarmiento involved a lot, albeit maybe not with the same kind of real end product in, in the final third. And that's fine. That will come with time. That will come with playing more with his teammates. But in the end, uh, Town get the the winner. And it's actually quite a nice move when you watch it back. It's a, a really good one. Yeah. Uh, but before we get on to that, I want to get Stu's thoughts on uh, Jez's debut. Uh, Lily scored uh, in, when he came on, which was you know, having a great you know start scoring on your debut, but yeah, overall thoughts on his cameo. Fun is definitely the word, uh, as Alex has just used there. But fun that could tip into frustration at times. You can see, you could see that 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 could be the case. I mean, this is we have to take into context. This was against uh, a League Two side down to ten men, so he was going to have a bit more space um, and a certain level of opponent to to 
to do what he did, which was get the ball and take people on every time he got it. And um, there's a few little flicks and tricks in there. There was a moment where he, he drove through the centre of the pitch with the ball, almost from sort of box to box. And um, so, yeah, I think he's, he's certainly lived up to his promise of being a player that likes to get fans off their seats. Um, he looked like, to be fair, he, his decision-making was was decent. A couple of times he did pick out the pass at the end of it. Um, but, yeah, the the verdict from West Brom fans was that he, he's capable of moments of magic, but that little incons- uh, consistency and end product is something that he needs to work on, which is quite often the case with these kind of young, exciting wing wing slash number 10 players that Premier League clubs are, are churning out at, um, at quite a rate in recent years. So, um, yeah, a, an exciting little cameo, but um, be interested to see how it translates now into uh, into championship games going forwards. Yeah, definitely. Two big games coming up against London Leicester as well. See how if he, uh, he features in those ones. Um, AJ, you mentioned it, um, Jack Taylor. Um, sort of wrapping it up. It was a tap-in, but you got to take that. Um, and yeah, good to see him score. You know, he played, I uh, thought he played really well in this game, actually, Jack Taylor. You know, coming in for midfield. Um, it'd be interesting to see if he will get some more minutes. Yeah, I think he had bits where he struggled. Um, he knocks it around really well, but maybe for me, there needs to be a little bit more to his game. You know, there's a, you have the long shots, you have the fact that he can pop up at the right time at the right moments. Is there maybe an argument that you want to see him be a little bit more dynamic, do something a little bit more like um, like Luongo does, for example. Is there just a little bit more that he could add? Potentially. I don't know whether that's harsh because he's a different kind of player. He's a player who's maybe adjusting to a deeper role after spending a lot of time at number 10 at Peterborough. So, yeah, maybe that's harsh. But a couple of sloppy moments here and there. As I said, he almost ended up giving the ball away for a, an equaliser for, for Little. But he gets the goal, and that's the important thing with this. At the end of the day, he's the one who, who turns it in. It's a nice through ball from Sam Morsey, plays Wes Burns there. Is it a shot? Is it a cross from the right? I think it's a cross. I think the verdict is it's a cross. He gets a lot behind it. My word, he really smacked that one into the box. And from there, Taylor's the man who turns it in. I think uh, Jared Buabo is kind of there as well. Looked a little hmm. bit disappointed that he didn't get the touch on it because it would have been a really nice moment for him. But um, ends up with Jack Taylor being the man to turn it in. Quite a low-key celebration there. But takes his total as well to the season for five. I think that's one in the Cup. is one in the FA Cup, two in the league, two in the, the Carabao Cup. So a bit of a split around there, but shows that he can contribute. If he can hit double figures in all competitions, that would be a really good season. So it's a good opportunity for him to to step up, whether he did that against Wimbledon, well, arguments for and against it, but he's going to have a, a chance to shine over the next couple of weeks with, um, yeah, players coming in and out of the side, Lewis Travis coming in, there'll, there'll be chances for him. So it, this won't be the only one, and hopefully we can see a little bit more from him as well. I've got a bit of a random one here about Jack Taylor, by the way. I was just Googling his name, and you know what comes up first? It's a TV series. Do you think he's ever watched Jack Taylor TV series? Have you guys watched it? No, have you? I, I haven't, actually, but it's an <laughs> Irish mystery television drama uh, based on a, like a cop, a former cop who becomes like a, a finder, basically, a private investigator. It um, stars Ian Glenn, 
um, which I think has been a few stuff. Um, but yeah, I just randomly just Googled his name. And that's what came up. It's free series um, from 2010 and 2016. So uh, It's good that it's Irish, isn't it? Yeah, Maybe that's a sign that uh, he's going to be knocking on the door for the national team at some point. Yeah, but I may give it a watch and see and give you give everybody a review. Um, but yeah, let us know if you're seeing Jack Taylor TV series um, a long time ago. I think all together, nine episodes, three seasons. So, uh, but yeah. Do you remember Hutchie went through a stage where he started writing a fictional yeah. private detective show involving Ipswich Town players? I think it was Chambers and Scoos were, were going to be the, in, the, in the lead roles of that. Maybe this is kind of the follow-up where they've now recruited Jack Taylor uh, as part of their gang, maybe we can get him to to write the next chapters of that. Yeah, be good. Yeah, but that's just so random. Yeah, Jack Taylor TV series. Check it out. Um, just plug on that, which has not been a, a show since 2016. But anyway, <laughs> enough of that. Okay. I've got to write a segue here. Um, maybe we segue actually on a big talking point at Itchy Town right now with strikers. Um, let's hear from Kieran McKenna on that, and then we'll talk about the big elephant in the room. When Freddie came off, Nathan went up front. We've seen that happen in game a couple of times now. While this search for the striker goes on, is, is that a, an in-house option for you in, in the short term? He's played there before, hasn't he? Yeah, we've got, you know, Nathan's played there quite a lot. Connor's played there a lot in his career and, and Wes has played there. So, you know, we try and have forwards on the pitch and, um, yeah, the, the two who've played most commonly behind our central striker, Nathan and, and Connor, are both, you know, strikers by trade so um yeah and, and Wes started out to see him and almost plays a right-sided striker for us sometimes so yeah we have we have our options in the building and um you know we'll we'll look at what the best option is for each game I've just looked outside my window and it's snowing ladies and gentlemen um very heavily actually I don't know if it's gonna lay or not but um yeah I don't like snow by the way I know once again I'm the Grinch of Christmas I'm now Grinch of snow um it's just too cold and it ruins the roads. I know I can't drive, but I'm in the you know the front seat, passenger seat, and you can't get anywhere. But anyway, enough of that. Um, it's all about the, the striker talking point. Um, Stu, big Fred, didn't have a great game, did he? Um, and obviously, this is a position we need to to look at with with George Hurst injury. He's he's had his surgery. He posted a picture, didn't he, of um, himself in his hospital bed? But uh, yeah, where do you want to start with this, mate? Yeah, I, the last time we did a podcast, I was sort of launched a bit of a, a defence of Freddie Ladapo and said that some of the reaction to during the QPR game was didn't give him the respect he deserves as someone who, who played quite a big role in the promotion season and short memories and all of that. But in that game, I thought that was just a player that looked really low on confidence. You can forgive sort of heavy touches and... Um, poor shooting and, and things like that. Someone who's rusty, bit down on their luck, low on confidence. But in this game, I think he looked a bit like a player that doesn't really want to be here. His work rate wasn't wasn't there. I know that's been a debate around Freddie Ladapo for for quite some time. It's something that Rotherham fans kind of said when he signed, you know, he's great when the going's good, but when he's not necessarily starting every week, you'll see a different side to him. And um yeah, that just disappointed me a little bit that he didn't, he wasn't putting in for someone who's, you know, could have a really big opportunity, even if he thinks he's going to be off. And they've had those conversations. You're in the shop window. Um, maybe he's thinking you don't want to get injured and, and something to be off. But yeah, it, it, it was the kind of the work rate that was wasn't there in this game. Really, there was um, he's 
there was a bit of a powder puff shot in the first half, wasn't there? But um, yeah, which didn't didn't have the sort of the the front press um, from the striker, and um, yeah, off he went in the second half. And uh, as we just heard in that clip, it was Nathan Broadhead who, who moved up front um, for the latter stages, as we saw against Stoke, and it's. Um, leaving us uh, debating who's going to start as that number nine if, if no new striker is in the building come Saturday, which is a very real opportunity, uh, potential, who will get the uh, who will get the nod to be the central striker against Sunderland? Yeah, interesting indeed. Um, we're thinking about maybe one striker this window. But I think we're going to need two now with a George Hurst injury. AJ, your thoughts on this? Um you know, we're lacking goals at the moment, aren't we? We're, we're, we're loving a goal. We're scoring goals for fun. But now with no striker, I know we've got Broadhead potentially to go there. Who, who would you start there? It's tricky, isn't it? It's amazing that Town have gone from having so many options. It feels a bit like the fullback situation, actually. They've gone from having so many options to realistically, if you're not going to start Freddy Ladapo against someone, you're looking at one in terms of now and out striker. They've lost Scarlett to the recall and they've lost George Hurst to injury and now looking like Freddie realistically is probably done let's be honest in terms of his time at, at town probably in terms of starting at this point as well so just having that ending up almost decimating your depth in in the forward lines and again looking at players coming out of position um yeah it's, it's a concern for sure in the short term but obviously I think we're all confident that town can go and do what they need to do in the, the medium and long term going into kind of the end of January and whatever they need to do after that. Um, in, in terms of the Sunderland game, they don't get anyone in. Well, yeah, realistically, I'd say there's two options within that. It's Caden Jackson or um, Nathan Broadhead. And I like the idea of Nathan Broadhead going up top. I've, <clears throat> I've felt that it's been a good option for a while. I'm less convinced now. Purely because and it's a small sample size to use, but we saw him in this game um, against Wimbledon where he was so influential out on the left. He was causing all sorts of problems. He was doing a lot of damage. He was just, he probably could have had two or three goals, to be perfectly honest, if it was maybe with a little bit better finishing. Um, and I felt that when he was up top, and again, Game State will, will play a, a part in this in terms of it's a totally different game at that point when you're 2-1 up and coming into the fast, the last few minutes against 10 men. I don't think that he looked as sharp in that position and that was maybe a little bit of uh, a sign. Is he suited to playing the lone striker in this town team? Not fully convinced. So as things sound, I'll probably go Kane Jackson, to be perfectly honest. And at the end of the day, he's someone that we've spoken about um, Freddie getting due credit for, for what he's done at town. I think that Caden Jackson deserves that as well in terms of how long he's been there, in terms of his transformation. Is he the answer in the long term? Under no means at all. But I think that uh, he'd probably be the one I'd go with for this game. That's assuming he's fit. Um, it was remiss of me to ask about Caden after this game. He was on the bench, but he was an unused sub. And uh, I didn't realise it at the time, but he did he did come off with what looked like uh, a knock at Stoke. Um so he's another one we're going to have to check in on. Um, but I agree with Alex. I think of all the options, I think you need his pressing from the front. I think someone who can who can press high and hard and run in behind is is a qualities that none of the others can provide. There's not an option that's going to give you the physicality of George Hurst. 
there's just there's just no one that can that can do that so you, they're going to have to that that is going to be probably top of the attributes when Ipswich do look to recruit someone who can who can um who can provide a bit more height and physicality but without that what what can you replicate best from George Hurst in terms of being able to run in behind being able to press it's it's going to be Caden Jackson I, I think Nathan Broadhead's best work yeah he has played further forward before but I think you know looking back at Sunderland it was alongside someone like Ross Stewart um that can sort of do some of the other stuff in a, in a forward two uh, I think Nathan Broadhead's best work comes slightly deeper he he does damage with the ball at his feet and with space in front of him and in tight areas some lovely bits of chest control in this game at Wimbledon the way he can sort of take the ball almost control the ball on his shoulder slash chest and um, glide past people. Um, I think that's just better done in those little pockets of space than right, rather on the last shoulder. But um, hands up who had Wes Burns down as a potential striker option when Kieran McKenna spoke afterwards as well. Um, certainly hadn't seen that. I mean, he, he's someone that he, that'd be a, a wild card option, just Wes running off the last shoulder and using a bit of pace. Um, but yeah, the fact that we're having this this conversation just really highlights the need for, as you say, Ross, I think two two strikers now in the building before the end of the month. And uh, in the car to Wimbledon, Stu, we were like actually going through lists, weren't we, of like different strikers town could look at. And it's uh, it's actually tricky to to choose. Obviously, I'm sure they're, they've got a lot of, you know, lot the da- dashboard, Mark Ashen dashboard, and they scout and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, mate, it's, it's tricky. You're going to do a piece shortly, I know, on strikers that town could look at. Um you got a name for us just to maybe get excited about, but it's it's, it's tricky. January, um, a striker is hard anyway. Yeah, because if, if they're any good, then the club won't be letting them go. So you're getting them for a reason midway through a season. Generally, they're not someone wants to get them up, match fit after injuries. And Ipswich time is not something Ipswich can afford to really get someone up to speed, given they need to hit the ground running. Um I imagine the prices have been put up because clubs will be smelling Ipswich's desperation for a striker at, at the moment. And it's not just a case of Ipswich being able to just splash the cash as they as they choose. They've got FFP to, to fit within and everything. So Kiefer Moore was someone I wasn't convinced by early on when people talked about strikers because I didn't know if he necessarily... I don't watch Kiefer Moore week in, week out. Um I don't know how much his game has evolved since, you know, over the last few years, but he doesn't, I don't know if he was the kind of the work rate striker that fits the McKenna system, but then he probably might, he might be the best of the options out there at the moment. It's clear that he's been made, going to be made available um, by Bournemouth alone, uh, but Ipswich won't be the only championship club, top end championship club after him. You know, he's been linked to Leeds, Southampton, etc so um yeah he, he is a name that sort of keeps keeps jumping out amongst them but um there's yeah there's not there's not obvious names is there knocking about we did go through all the premier league squads and championship squads although we didn't look at european players though to do but that's that's, a, that's another another situation that uh, they have to go through with obvious reasons and all that but um aj you got a, a player that you could chuck at us Any, anybody interesting you know it's it is just like in the summer. It's it's you know it's easier to maybe look at other players, but January is just such a hard window to, to sign. 
Yeah, it, it's a tricky one, and you look maybe at uh, the likes of Jay Stance was obviously the one that we've spoken about a little bit in terms of he has a little bit of versatility there, and is is that something that could add in, in a deeper role as well? Is it something that we've seen quite a lot of him in Birmingham? Is it an easy one to do by any means? I don't think so, but um, that, that's probably the one to keep an eye on from you know the links that have come out. Apart from that, it's tricky, and it depends whether you what what the market is in term in terms of the recruitment as well. Because you can look down, and looking down is always a good way to find value. There'll be players that you can get that have impressed at a lower level that you could think about stepping up. The two players that always come to mind in terms of the ones that have done that. Um, Macaulay Langstaff would be a huge jump up for him coming up from League Two, for example, but he's banged in goals at a lower level. Um, Colby Bishop's one that Town fans will be familiar with again. But given Town's position, is it really what you'd want, knowing that you'd still have to go out and, and spend a few million and get a player that has only really done it kind of League One, League Two level? That's a huge risk. And then you're looking at marquee names, but they're always going to be hard. Yeah, there's international markets there, for example. I think there's quite a few actually up in Scotland. Um, I've always been impressed by the, the ones that Aberdeen have at their disposal. They've got a couple of good strikers up there. Um, I know one of them that's been spoken about, uh, Miofsky, really good player, but someone that they're looking at having north of £5 million for, and that's a lot of money again um, for someone that's not played in English football. So from my perspective, I think the best balance to have is you want that marquee name, you want the marquee name that can step up and replace George Hurst's, and, and that's a tough gig to follow. Then after that, you may be looking at a Premier League loanee, possibly, but you run the risk of having a, a Dane Scarlet repeat where maybe they're not just quite at the level you want. Um, again, there's names you could have there. I always like Divine Mabama at West Ham, but I watched him play yesterday and he had a really tough time against Bristol City. Maybe someone like Duran at Villa, for example. <laughs> they'll have a list. They'll know what they're doing. I think that maybe the first choice in Premier League low-knee combos are a good way to go about it, but by no means is it an easy market. You're looking for one striker this month. It's hard enough, but trying to do two, that's a real, real challenge. Other names that kind of jumped off, just literally going through Premier League clubs, um, you're just looking for sort of experienced players that maybe fit the mould that aren't getting game time. I know Danny Ings has been mentioned a lot at West Ham, but I think the wages would be far and away Wolves out. Wolves and Burnley have been the two that would yeah. be linked to them, so I think that speaks volumes about where he'll be heading. More likely someone like Michael Oberfemi at, at Burnley, who's not been getting loads of game time. Corley Woodrow at, at Luton. Um Rian Brewster, I don't know what his situation is at Sheffield United, went for a lot of money um, a little while ago, but I, I think he's had injury problems as well. So I don't know what the fitness situation is with him. People like that, that have, you know, that have done it in the championship before, that are not quite doing it in the Premier League at the moment, that may be available um, as a bit of a, you know, at, at worst short term fix. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'll, I'll try and put together a bit of a list for, for later in the week. Yes, we shall wait and see. It's going to be a, a very interesting January. And obviously, we've had two sexy stuff signings so far, of course, uh, with Jezza coming in and uh, uh, Lewis Travis signing on loan from Blackburn. I want to quickly get uh, McKenna's thoughts on that signing. 
and then we'll also talk about some other stuff. So let's see what you had to say. Of course, we're really experienced and and uh, combative and, and energetic and, and dynamic midfielder. There's a lot of qualities to to like. Um, yeah, we felt like that was one area of the pitch that we wanted to reinforce and strengthen. And um, to be able to pick up a player like Lewis on loan is, uh, you know, we feel like a really big boost for us. Physically, he's okay. He's, he's not been starting as much lately, but um, physically, he's, he's fit. Of course, there's a, you know, a, um, a settling end period in terms of understanding, you know, our, our principles on and off the ball. But um, of course, the benefit is that he knows the league and he's he's physically in good shape. And um, we could see him make his debut. On Saturday against Sunderland, of course, with Sam Morsey suspended. And, of course, we'll, we'll look ahead to that game later in the week. Uh, well, boys, um, shall we quickly talk about the draw um, before we get on to some other news? Um, fourth round draw, Monday night. Who do you want? AJ? Obviously, there's potential of some very good draws, but there's also some bad draws potentially could happen as well. What? Who do you want? Let's immediately avoid any championship team, ideally. That would be terrible. Um, from my perspective, I'm, I'm not that fussed about if it's a League One side, although I know that you guys have really done a proper tour over the last few years. So probably from an Ipswich perspective, you want to avoid both of those, but you're taking up a, a big chunk of teams there. Real disaster would be something like a Leeds or a Leicester or a Southampton. That would just be horrible to have. Um, from there, obviously, I said in the post-match video that we did. Cambridge uh, was the one that I would have wanted, obviously. Um, at the time I said that, they were um, two... I thought they were winning 2-1. They were actually 3-2 down, and former Peterborough man Sammy Smodix had hit a hat-trick, which had ruined my afternoon. So from there, I think you're either going to go high or low, realistically, aren't you? Maidstone's the, the lowest-ranked team in the draw. They'd be an interesting one. Probably you'd want them at home because... Um, give you a really good chance of probably rotating the squad and um, seeing how you can kind of get a few minutes into some maybe younger players and others who haven't played as much. That would be good and, and give other senior players a rest. Other than that, you're looking at the big ones and it's the same we say ahead of every draw. A, Man United, Man City, Liverpool, obviously Arsenal are out. Spurs, I know a lot of fans want to go to their new stadium. Of all of them, Man United, I'm joining the Jack Taylor one here. Man United for me purely because, uh, A, I've never been to Old Trafford and I think that would be quite a cool experience. And B, the narrative would be absolutely delicious. It would be fantastic if uh, Kieran McKenna returned to the club from where he started um, at a senior level in terms of coaching. That would uh, really set up quite nicely for there. And um, also, I mean, as Jack Taylor kind of hinted on, I think they probably stand quite a good chance, to be honest. Yeah, but uh, they've got to beat Wigan, uh, May United. So, uh, of course, that's the draw will happen before that game kicks off. Uh, Town of Ball, number 11. Uh, Stu, Everton are still in it. They have to do a replay with uh, with Palace. But uh, obviously, that's the always the one you want. But uh, who else would you, you fancy? Yeah, from a personal point of view, that's one I'll certainly be looking out for. Uh, with my Ipswich Town hat on, if I'm honest, anything at home will probably do. Um be quite nice. I mean, you, you look back at last year and what the the games against Rotherham and particularly Burnley did for Ipswich this season, testing themselves against teams from a higher level. It just felt like that built their confidence levels. Okay, we can we can beat Rotherham, who put out quite a strong team from memory, um, who were struggling in the Championship. That gives us an idea of how we might translate at a level higher. Then they went to Championship 
winners elect Burnley and took them all the way to the last minute of a of a replay in that game. So could that could that translate this year? We've already seen in the League Cup Ipswich um beat Wolves and um and then Fulham was a bit of a different story, comfortably beaten in that game. So another little sort of Premier League challenge. And I think, you know, the chances are if you get one of the big boys, they'll put out a much changed team. It's always great for fans to have a big away day at one of the, the big grounds and travel in your thousands because you get a, a big allocation, 45%, I think, of capacity you get as, a, as an away ground. So, yeah, a, a big away day against one of the... Um, one of the big boys or or anything at home really i think would uh, would be my wish i've got a question how would you guys feel because they are in the hat they have got to go to a replay but how would you guys feel about if it was an east anglian derby in the fa cup fourth round bang up for that ross yeah why not but of course i gotta be bristol rovers um <laughs> so grant ward's goal by the way you know oh, was, oh, some shocking out. defending though yeah but for him to you know be ambitious to just even hit that curling mm. effort, fair play to Grant Ward, but um, but yeah, we shall see. I'm bang up for that. You talk about things that could sort of inject a bit of confidence and boost your season. Um, yeah, the chance to kind of nip that uh, 14 years things in the bud a bit sooner. Ideally, you'd have it at Portman Road, so you could uh, you could taste that. I mean, obviously, no guarantee of winning, but I think uh, it's which. Um, Norwich just feel like they've gone down on their luck a little bit more since since that game at Portman Road. So yeah, that would be that would be good fun. Um if we could have that. Maidstone would be quite interesting as well, wouldn't it? Um for the lowest ranked side in there as well. So yeah. Yeah, we shall see. Um obviously Ross, who do you want? Oh, who do I want? Um just anybody at home and then away, maybe Tottenham, because I haven't been there yet. So um, but just nowhere too far Plymouth what about something like a a Brighton or a Brentford just to see how sort of Ipswich's uh, style of football sort of matches up against those sort of project clubs that Ipswich are kind of probably modelling themselves on a bit in terms of upward trajectories and things Um, not been to uh, Brentford's new ground yet as well I think there's a lot that kind of you'd be happy with Um, you know you're always looking that to use a mark term the sexy ones the top six teams but i think we'd all like even if it's a mid-table so even something like villa i know the town have been to villa fairly recently things like that um i think i also echo ross's words in terms of nothing too far ideally considering that this game will be sandwiched in between the leicester away game on a monday night and a trip to preston so if it's three i mean i know leicester's not too far but sorry leicester's not um that's what i meant to say leicester's not too far but it's a midweek Preston then after that. Oh, he's still in it, though. Oh, Preston's still in it. Preston are out. Preston lost <laughs> to Chelsea. So that's fine. Yes. But if you're thinking you're having to do something like Leicester on a Monday night and then go to Blackburn, God forbid. Middlesbrough, Blackburn, Rowell. Swansea, Plymouth, you know, championship rivals, long trip away from home, something like Ooh, that. Oh, no, Hull have got to get a replay done still. But those sort of clubs away from home would, be, would probably be the worst case scenario, yeah. I'd say. If we, people listen to this probably on Tuesday, they already know who we got, and they're probably <laughs> laughing at us right now. Go, <laughs> sorry, boys, but you've got to go to Plymouth. Um, but yeah, we shall see. The draw is um, going to happen Monday, um, just before on ITV One. So, ball number 11 to town, and we shall see who town will play in the fourth round. Uh, boys, we're getting to Lily the hour mark, so let's uh, wrap up and chat about some other news. Um, Stu, you dropped a transfer story on 
Idris Almazuni, of course, out on loan at Leighton Orient. Um, yeah, let us know. Yeah, a number of League One clubs vying for his signature this January transfer window. He's obviously in his second season on loan at Leighton Orient. Played a starring role in them winning the League Two title last season. Um, had clubs like Derby, Charlton, Wickham, etc. all after him last summer. Ipswich, in the end, opted to loan him back to Leighton Orient again. Um, he's ended up taking on the captain's armband for a fair chunk of this season, which is quite something for a young loan player to do. Um, he's not got that captain's armband anymore because Darren experienced Darren Prattley's back from, from injury, but that tells you kind of uh, how well he's been doing at, at Brisbane Road. And as a result, um, several league, league One clubs are in for him. Understand uh, Ipswich have knocked back some low six-figure offers for him thus far. Um, Barnsley and Wickham, I think the, the strongest interest so far out of, of those that are in for him. Oxford as well, where a lot of Ipswich players have gone to in recent times. Um, so I think it's just Ipswich playing hardball over a fee at the moment. Um, it's pretty clear that I think his pathway now is is not open at Portman Road and it's just about Ipswich sort of maximising how much money they can get for a player that they brought over from France at the age of 15, 16. Um have developed for for a period of time. Um, so yeah, if low six figure offers have been rejected, can they push it up towards the half million pound mark? Um, some of the clubs that have been linked probably haven't got that sort of money to play with. So we'll see if they can manage to meet in the middle. Bolton or another club as well that I think uh, that are interested as well. So. Um, I think that deal will probably get done. He's out of contract in the summer, but Ipswich do have the uh, the twelve month extension clause in in their favour. So he's effectively a, a player that's under contract for another eighteen months. Um, hasn't doesn't look to have a future at Ipswich. It will just be see if they can uh, get some uh, get some money back on him, which will all, obviously all help in terms of the uh, the transfer pot for for ins. Yeah, indeed. Um, I want to quickly, as we're talking about loans, um, AJ, I want to talk about Gasson Ahadmi because um, Neil Harris mentioned he could return to town. Obviously, he's out injured at the moment. Could be out until March, potentially, with these injury. Um, that's another sort of talking point. Like, if he was fit and he's been scoring a few goals for Cambridge, would have town recalled him to be part of that strike? I know he's very different to um, McKenna's sort of player, but that's another sort of debate to talk about. You know, if Gasson was fat, maybe he could have been the striker issue maybe for, for the time being. But he's, he's injured, so it's not. <laughs> Thank you for the little caveat there. Yeah, I think Ipswich have quite a strong record of recalling players on loan from uh, Cambridge. Do you remember when Idris got recalled from Cambridge? I do. Um, I was covering the club at that point. Was he injured? I was no, that's the reason why. Oh, I don't think that he was. He just wasn't really getting much in the way of game time. And it was a, a frustrating period where he got played as a 10 and then got shifted out onto playing right wing a lot and I think it was a second spell he'd had there. Most of the memories was a, a banging free kick he'd scored at Scunthorpe. Jackson had made probably has a few more memories that he's made in terms of his, his time at Cambridge. Bit of a slow-ish start. Started quite well then things slowed down. Mott Bonner got sacked and, and Neil Harris seems to get the best out of him. As you'd expect, you know, big, tall, six foot whatever striker and Neil Harris who likes to lump long balls onto the head of the big, tall, six-foot-whatever striker. Fair enough. Um, so it's disappointing to see that this is kind of the situation now where he's going to be out 
well, it's going to be quite a while. The theory originally was 10 weeks. He's going for a scan today, on Monday, to see what the situation is there. Neil Harris reckons if it's beyond March, it's probably going to be likely that Tam will want to recall him and, and have him have his treatments with championship physios, essentially, uh, which would be really disappointing. I think that, to be honest, no, I don't think that he would have been anywhere near the answer at championship level for town, even in the short term, to be perfectly honest, uh, albeit that he has some of the key characteristics that a town striker needs, like George Hurst. Um, I think it's also disappointing in the sense that, to be honest, I don't know if you guys would agree, but it maybe would have been a long-term option for him beyond this loan spell. Um, I know his contract's running. I think it might be the same situation where it's 2024 with an option, something along those lines. Um Cambridge might be one that would want to go out of their way to bring in a fairly young striker who suits the manager's profile. And with the way it was working out, that would have been quite viable in the summer. But whether this injury will put a spanner into the works of that one, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But a real blow for him and definitely for Cambridge, who have injury options, injury issues, left, right, centre. It's an absolute train wreck over there. Yeah. 2025 is contract. I've just looked it up with an option. So... Um... That would have been interesting. We'll never know, will we, whether Ipswich should have called him back in for a complete left field, um, just chuck him in as a as a late sub or something, just as a as a physical grenade, just to throw on and cause a bit of carnage. That um, just I'm not saying it would have would have led to some great comeback redemption arc for Gassan Hadmi, but um, in the short term, that might that who knows? We'll never know now because of the injury. Yeah, we never know, but um, that's that's it, really. Um, talking about a, a, a former town player next, uh, Tony Mowbray has been appointed the new Birmingham boss, of course, replacing Wayne Rooney. Um, AJ, you, you did the story to you know put it online to let everyone know. Um, good good appointment, in my opinion. And of course, got sacked at Sunderland's. Um, you know, always remembered by town fans the goal at Wembley. But yeah, new boss at Birmingham. I've referred to him, we've had this discussion already, I've referred to him as a town legend and there has been discussion between the three of us as to whether we'd go that far, probably just about with his profile edging towards yes. Um, interested to see what you guys or what, what the listeners think in terms of Tony Mowbray in terms of that setting, but he's, he's obviously accomplished a lot in his playing days at town and, and had that stint there as a, a boss and his, his time after that has been pretty good and he's a, a really good solid established championship manager isn't he and that's what Birmingham need because they have just totally shot themselves in the foot uh, the season that now needs salvaging there's little to no hope of them going anywhere near the top six unless they put in title winning form they had every single chance of doing that and being probably in a similar vein to Hull one of those teams that has quite a nice squad that can play good football and be defensively solid and get the best out of the lone players and, and all those kind of things. And then they just went and tore it all up, which was bonkers getting in Wayne Rooney, two wins in 15. Tony Mowbray coming in, I think, offers them someone who can stable, yeah, to keep everything a little bit more stable, which will be important. Um, steady the ship a little bit in a relegation battle and then hopefully for their sake in the long term, uh, the aim will be being around the top six. And if you look at what Mowbray did at Sunderland, he's taken a very young squad and got them into the top six. And I think he probably would have got there or thereabouts if he'd stayed at Sunderland as well. So a manager that knows what he's doing, if he gets the right things and what he wants to work with, um, 
I'm also, though, on the flip side of that, I'm not convinced that that will be the case at Birmingham because I don't necessarily know if they'll recruit to his strengths and I don't know how much of an opportunity he'll be given to prove what he can do at this level. Yeah, I've given six months, unfortunately, Moga. That's because Birmingham, that's what normally happens. They just, you know, sack him. Even if he's in a good position, they just sack him. Goodbye. Um, but there we go. A um, few little bits and bobs to mention. Um, the under-18s have got a new coach, Ollie Lee, um, a name that you may have heard of. Um, he's, got, of course, got a, a famous dad who also played, uh, played for Newcastle, England, also got a, a younger brother who plays for Wrexham at the moment. But uh, Stu, a, a new coach with the under-18s. Uh, they have had a, a lot of changes in the last few years. But, um, yeah, Ollie Lee, of course, sadly had to retire at the age of 32. Yeah, you boys probably don't remember Rob Lee, do you? He was a good player back in the day, sort of right, right-sided midfielder for, for Newcastle. Um Played a handful of games for England. Um, yeah, Ollie is the son of Rob. His brother Elliot, um, currently playing for Wrexham, has been at is it Barnsley and Colchester and, and clubs like that. Um, yeah, he's 32 years of age um, and only retired, as you say, a year ago uh, through um, Reynards and uh, uh, syndrome, which is kind of causing nerve damage and pain pain in your fingers and hands and things like that so um yeah shame that he had to sort of hang up his boots at the age of 31 after a bit of a, a journeyman career looking at it he's most recently at Gillingham but have played at for Hearts and Luton I think and various other clubs so um yeah he's been working with Tottenham's academy I think they're under 13s under 14s um more recently and as someone who's obviously worked on his on his coaching career and has maybe had to have this in mind so um yeah new a new head coach for the for the under 18s um for Ipswich town yeah um of course he comes in to replace Callum Tung who who departed the club to join Main United's academy he's only been in the job in March so he's there from March to October so uh yeah best of luck to Ollie um the under 18s so a bit of a tough season so far but they're playing a very young team and of course got knocked down the youth cup but um, yeah, all the best, Ollie, for the rest of the season. Um, any other business then, boys? Um, there's a defeat, unfortunately, for the Tractor Girls. They started their 2024 um, year with defeat at Oxford, which is uh, dented their promotion hopes. Uh, not a good game. Um, they were the better side, but it was very cold conditions, wet conditions. The pitch wasn't great either. But yeah, one nil defeat. And um, they've got Cholton next in the FA Cup, which is a big game, but um, a disappointing Afternoon. Hopefully, there'll be a Track the Girls talk podcast. So, I'm um, talk about that more in depth. But, uh, yeah, any other business? AJ, Stu, anything else you want to mention? No further business, I don't think. No, I don't think so. We'll probably start. It's going to be a very interesting build up to this Sunderland game at the weekend. I'm sure we'll reconvene later in the week to discuss uh, who we think is going to play in that one. Um, but for now, we'll, we'll try and keep our ear to the ground on all the transfer stuff and. Uh, I guess we'll we'll talk again later in the week. We shall indeed. I'm just going to double check. Has it laid the snow? I stopped and it hasn't. It's actually stopped. So that's that's over now. The snow's lovely over. little, lovely Thank little. Thank you crotch for that view. That, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why you got to subscribe, ladies and gentlemen. Subscribe if you want to see. It's good that Ross is doing this podcast with trousers on this time. That as well. <laughs> Normally, I'm wearing shorts. Um, but anyway, enough of that. Um, thanks for, for tuning in, as always, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if you haven't already, obviously, um, check out our sponsors, Manscaped. Use the code KOA. You get 20% off and free delivery for a new look for 2024, as I said at the start. And also, 
if you haven't already, check out our app um, because I, I get told so many times like that people don't even know we have an app. So check out the app. You can download it on all, all the app stores and you don't have to worry about ads or anything. Um, and you can read all our stories. So check out our app if you haven't already. It's EADT on the search. So check it out. And um, also, if you haven't already, follow us on all our socials. Leave us a five-star review. And as the boy said, we'll be back later in the week to look ahead to Sunderland. Goodbye for now.